Hello everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 254. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. I feel like this week, despite having a pretty large week last week, I feel like this week we actually do have a pretty light week. I feel like I say that frequently, and we still are like at the 40 minute mark still. <laughs> um, if you don't know, when I originally started this podcast, it was supposed to be more of like a 15 minute kind of thing, and it just kept continuing to get more and more out of control. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But it has definitely in the last like two years been sitting around like the 20 to 40 minute or uh, sorry, 40 to 60 minute mark, I feel like. So for better or for worse, that's what it's been. <clears throat> but I will say um, this week I have a pretty, pretty tiny lineup of uh, uh, things to talk about. So this might actually fall within closer to the 20 minute range. We'll see. We'll find out. You guys know you can look at the actual timestamp and see. <laughs> so, so Yeah. Um, in terms of games I've been playing this week, uh, so, you know, I'm continuing on Sparkling Feather, and I actually do have an update, so, um, I forget what I said last week about Sparkling Feather, but what I can say is this, um, so I've been working on trying to get the good ending for Sparkling Feather, right, um, and I kind of was at two, um, points of where I was thinking I needed to go for the good ending. One was potentially answering certain questions certain ways on dates, or rather, sorry, asking questions certain ways on dates, so you ask characters questions, and I thought maybe based off some of the auto translation I saw that I was asking like questions about like particular things that were happening or like particular background things about a character. I don't think that's the case. I think all the questions are generic. So I think there is no like real kickoff point for some of the like the, the bonus arcs you got to go down to get to the good ending. I think all you have to do is basically build a certain relationship and and get to a certain point with that relationship with the character um, before you uh, get to a certain point of the cutscene or in the the story. And when you get to that point, that will then unlock the uh, the arc for that essentially. So what I'm thinking is probably the safest bet if you're playing Sparkling Feather to get the good ending is basically getting to a three star relationship or as close as you can if you can't get to one. Um, with characters before their story event that happens. Whether or not the three-star relationship is an important thing or not is a whole other thing because I know some characters I've had two stars with and the cutscene either has or hasn't uh, triggered. But I believe if you if you go out of your way to do like a three-star relationship, you're probably going to have enough interactions with that character that you will um, be at a good point to one of two things. Either... Um, you know, uh, you'll just kind of brute force it. And just the fact you interact with it enough means it's very likely that you triggered whatever you need to for that next uh, sequence. Or it'll leave you in a position that you can trigger the sequence without too much trouble. Um, you know, you would need a backup save at that point because you have to have a save file before the mission, like the, 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 the pre-mission preamble before you even know that you're on that like special side mission but it would give you a position where you could go back and and basically triple date them and then figure out what you need to do um to 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 progress essentially so i'm thinking what's probably going to end up happening when i do do the english guide video for that is i'll probably end up putting together like a a mission guide of like you need to have some kind of relationship with a character by this point and then also showing the questions I asked them before like leading up to that point kind of thing um there is some like quote randomness to how much you can date 
uh, characters. However, it's not really random. It's like basically like a, it's not a slot machine. It's like a spin wheel thing, like, you know, Wheel of Fortune style. Like it spins around and you can stop it kind of thing. And you can actually time that and, and get basically the best dating scenario for that, where it's like, I get to choose three encounters. Like it's not random. It's not less than three. It's not, you know, the shock one where you can't date at all kind of thing. Um, so, so basically as long as the player knows how to get the three encounters every time, um, which is very easy. You basically just press the button at a very particular time in the, the spinning of the uh, wheel. And there's actually a really easy visual cue you can use um, with how the button flashes that you can time it out, basically. And while it's not like super, like, like it's very easy to fail the roll, um, you usually will fall within one of three spots. A, a shock one where you can't do any dating, which at that point you just restart the console. The three one where you get the full three dates, and then you get the one that's uh, moichido, which is like one more time or something like that. And so, so um, when when you land on that one, you just get to roll again, kind of thing. And so you just get another chance. So as long as you kind of lean towards the back half of the timing, you'll at the very least always get the the moichido one, um, and then you know you can kind of pull back slowly on your input to reach the uh, the three level one that you're looking for. So I think I'm on a good path. I have not gotten to the good end arc yet. Um, that was kind of one thing I figured out was that the actual good end, you know, arc is pretty lengthy. So I got to try to get to that point still. Um, but I think I'm about two to four missions before that point. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly where I'm at, but it's like, you know, I'm getting there basically. I spent most of Friday night playing Sparkling Feather and I, I plan to play Sparkling Feather again sometime within the next week and, and try to get into that, that end arc. And once I get into that end arc, I think I'm pretty much good to go. There's one cutscene with a character called Emerald in the game that I, I am a little cautious of that I'm like, this might be optional. Um, so, but it's actually pretty deep into that storyline. So I have plenty of time to build a relationship with Emerald, uh, before I get there kind of thing. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think it will, I think, I think I'm on the right track though. I think all this, this like <laughs> worrying about this game was definitely, or rather not worrying, but like trying to piece together how to make Sparkling Feather worked, um, um, will pay off in the end, which is really good. Um, it's, and, and one thing actually I have like kind of learned in playing Sparkling Feather a bit more is, um, how certain characters AIs function. And because now that I like better understand what the commands do, I can actually kind of better strategize with those characters. Now the game is not a hard game. I will say like upfront, like this is not a difficult strategy RPG. Um, it's pretty rare. Anything bad happens. I think I, in the last, like probably 20 missions I've played between the last run I did and this run that I'm doing, I've had one character die ever. Um, and you know, if you need to reset, you can reset. And like, if you, if they do die, I think it just takes a, like a, a hit to your relationship. So as long as it's not a character you're trying to build a relationship with, um, it's also kind of whatever kind of thing. Um, but I, I kind of have been better at like figuring out how to use magic users and ranged users um, and like, what's the best way to command them so they actually utilize their their functions properly? Because frequently, if you like tell a mage user to go attack something, they will basically beeline to it and then like sit there and melee it to death. Like they'll cast spells sometimes, and you can actually change how how often they cast spells. Um, but if you set them like at a particular position, you know, away from the enemy, 
um, then they will sit there and like cast spells at enemies because that's all they can do. And their their magic is always more powerful than their melee attacks. So um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to kind of better learn how that works. Um, is Sparkling Feather a good game? Uh, <laughs> kind of up in the air. There, there are things about Sparkling Feather I like that I've kind of talked about before and maybe have not mentioned recently or really thought that much about recently because, you know, it's been this long-term thing I've been trying to figure out. No, essentially, Sparkling Feather has been like a over a year long project for me at this point. Um, the English guide for it is not that old yet, but it's getting there. Um, but I, I, I think there will be some things I do ha- have to say positively about the game um, that I've said probably previously, but it'd be good to reiterate, reiterate them as I kind of present the the game as a package and like how accessible it is to an English player. So. That was all good fun. Um, we did go ahead and, and speaking of like trying to brute force my way through Japanese games, we did go ahead and start playing through Crime Crackers on stream. Uh, I think that went pretty well. Crime Crackers does not seem like a game that requires much Japanese at all. Um, it's pretty much just like a first person dungeon crawler. And for the most part, you can more or less just figure things out. I think, you know, the healing guidance versus the bullet charges. Like there's not a ton of like Japanese text. You really got to work your way through unless you want to try to understand the story. And, you know, the story so far, it doesn't seem like that crazy. It, it more or less has been a lot of like SOS signals. And then maybe the like the deepest story element I've seen so far is there's something to do with like a dude with blonde hair. And that one, like I could not get to translate well at all with the machine translation. Like I have no idea what's happening with this guy. He's here. I can confirm that. Uh, um, he seems like a bad guy, probably. I'm guessing he is not like necessarily like it seems like you kind of maybe catch him at some point, but I think it might not necessarily be him. That's kind of the way the weirdness, like, like I don't know what's really happening right now, kind of thing. But the the, the more important stuff, like the the uh, main girl, I think her name is Amelia. Um, she uh or emily maybe i can't remember but emilia or emily um she she had like a story arc with her brother and that was like super easy to get through kind of thing so um but the game itself is pretty straightforward you just kind of go around dungeons you have to you know think about the controls in a very like Mega Man legends way where it's like this is not going to control like super well from a modern perspective right um but it is going to but like you can you can work with it you can deal with it it's like a lot of times it's like games like crime crackers and stuff it's it's just kind of figuring out what is the intention of these controls, right? Like, it's not always just like these are garbage controls just because they don't control like how I want them to control. Sometimes you got to sit there and think about like, how do we, how do we use these controls in the way that is like actually intended kind of thing. And I think really the biggest kind of thing you have to think about with Crime Crackers is just the defense mechanic, you know, using the L and R button to to block and then trying to figure out like when is best to dodge and when is best to block and probably like 75% of the time blocking is best, honestly. So, um, but it seems like a fun game. Maybe it just doesn't have like a lot of like personality to it. Like visually it has some personality in terms of the character like art, but like in terms of the actual gameplay itself, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, not a lot going on, honestly. Um, I think it has like mixed reviews when it came out initially in Japan. Uh, actually, I don't know about Japanese. I think it was like uh, the import reviews were, were mixed on it. Um, but yeah, it does seem like just a little straightforward, maybe. So um, one thing that was fun, though, is I did go ahead and open up my um, my copy of the game uh, and just kind of flipped around the manual a little bit. And I found like a little magazine cutout in it. So whoever owned the copy before apparently went and like cut out like a guide 
um, or like a little map or something from a like some kind of magazine or pamphlet or or something. And it was just like one of the later levels with some like advice on how to approach the map kind of thing. Um, it is all in Japanese, so I cannot read any of it, but but it was just kind of cute and fun to see in there. There's like some cute art on there as well. I posted it on Twitter trying to see if people know what it's from. I've not gotten any response about it yet or what magazine it's from rather. So I'm not sure where it came from. Um, but it, it's cute. It's, it's fun. There's also like a pack of stickers in there. I did go ahead and upload the stickers to archive.org. So if you want to see that, you go look at my archive.org profile, which is just under the uh, O-C-U-L-I-N. I'll link it in the description. Um, but I did go ahead and upload those stickers as well. Speaking of archive.org stuff, actually, um, I did finally get around to uploading chapter one and chapter two of the First Kiss Stories desktop accessory CDs on archive.org. Um, I also updated chapter three to include the raw files. So you don't have to, you know, mount in a disc image of the, the, the thing. You can just go in there and start digging into the images and things like that. So, uh, those are both, all three of those things are there now, if you want to check those out. Um, and, uh, I do need to figure out like the, the, the thumbnail for the archive.org listing. Like it's not a problem when I'm just like scanning the manuals. Cause I can like be consistent with the naming and like basically put the cover image as the first thing that appears on the list of files. However, when you're uploading other things, it becomes significantly harder. Um, so like, for example, I think it's, uh, the desktop accessories chapter one disc. There's like a back icon in there and the graphics files, uh, because there's actually like an HTML page you can load up and navigate. Um, so the back file got picked up as like the, 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 uh, thumbnail image for the archive.org listing. So it's just like a big back button. So yeah, I don't know. I did some looking into like archive.org and like setting a thumbnail and I found a lot of threads. And it seemed like it to like modify XML data, which I did, but I didn't really see any difference when I did that. Um, I saw a lot of confusion online when I tried to search it and maybe I'm just searching the wrong thing, but I just saw a lot of confusion of people not being sure what to do. And I saw some like, uh, the admins for archive.org basically say like, uh, you know, it's not something we're really worried about, you know, making super accessible. So I think I might just have to li live with the bad thumbnails for now, unless they make some change in the future, but it, it does suck. I would much rather the cover of the, uh, the uh package to be the 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 first thing that the person sees if you know how to set thumbnails in archive.org let me know i don't know how to do it i did a little bit of searching messed around with the files a little bit and like i still don't know how to do it so so uh yeah so that was a uh, that was pretty much the majority of my my game playing um speaking of the stream stuff i am thinking about playing ogun no kizuna um which if you don't know is like a jalico game uh, that was, uh, kind of like Shadow of the Colossus is kind of how people like presented it in the West of like, there's like a Shadow of the Colossus element because there's like a big guy you fight, but it seems like more of a traditional action hack and slash kind of thing. However, um, it was, I think it was maybe announced for coming over. I don't know for sure if it was actually, but either way, the game was received very, very poorly in Japan. Um, and it never ended up coming out here. So uh, I picked up a copy. I was in Japan for like a hot $3, which I was like, this is about right. Um, so I've always wanted to like sit down and play through it and see what's up with it. So that might be what I want to do next. But Crime Crackers is actually a fairly long game. I think it's going to be probably about like five to six streams maybe for Crime Crackers. So we'll see about that. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how, or how I feel rather in like a month or so. And if I still want to play Ogun no Kizuna. The biggest thing is that it is apparently not a very good game. Um, so it, there's a very good chance that I, 
well, I think I will be fine with it. I worry that the stream communities might not be as fine with it and like being entertaining uh, for, for a longer game. I think it's like I, I asked uh, uh, the guy who runs the Game Vicante Twitter account because we were talking about it a little bit in their Discord. Um, Bost, I think is his username on there. And he he said he thinks it's like a 15 to 20 hour game. So like that's reasonable for my stream. But, you know, also, though, it is like I, I don't I don't speak read Japanese. Right. So there's a very good chance that I'll have a lot harder of a time trying to get through it. But we'll see. It actually apparently got fairly expensive. Uh, I did a little like digging because I was kind of curious why it got expensive, because I didn't see any kind of like big like American YouTubers or, or Western YouTubers, maybe specifically covering it. Uh, the, the material I see out there for Organo Kizuna largely seems to be the stuff that came out around, around the game's launch. Um, but apparently some big Japanese YouTuber covered it and they got their video, um, with like 3 million views. (laughs) So I'm guessing it got a lot more attention in Japan and then the price, uh, skyrocketed from there. Very interesting to see. I don't think I've heard of too many scenarios with like Japanese, um, influencers having a big effect on like video game prices. I'm sure it's something that happens, but it's just the first time I've really encountered something directly where it's like, I can isolate it out from American audiences, unless there's something about, you know, the American audience that I found that, uh, or that, that's out there that, that I just missed, um, that may have raised the price. So anyways, Ogen no Kizuna, we'll maybe check that out. We'll see. We'll see where I'm feeling in a month, but it's a game I've been wanting to check out for a while. And I feel like the stream might be a good place to do that. It depends on like how, I don't know. The problem with me is I'm going to take the game very seriously. I'm not going to make fun of it. So unless there's like good reason to. Um, So I don't know if it'll be like as, I think a lot of those kind of like bad games or or if you want to call them Kuso gay streams or whatever, um, why those do well is because usually the streamers like actively poking fun at it in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know if I... I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I do do this. Like, I don't know if I actively poke fun of games very often on stream. I think I'm usually pretty accepting of them no matter what happens for the most part. I'm trying to think if there's any scenarios of where I just like was like, this game's garbage. I mean, there's so few. Um, my bar for what like is a bad game is just so low. <laughs> so it's very rare. And most of the time, if like, I run into a problem with the game, it's almost always that I'm like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, and, and I forgot to talk about it. I do have some multiplayer gaming stuff that I did. Um, we played a bit of uh, Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds, which is based off the Phantom Breaker fighting game. There's actually, I think, a new release of that now. But we played the uh, Battlegrounds like a co-op beat em up um, with some friends. Uh, that seems fine. I'm not a big beat em up fan. So, like, I'm just sitting there like, I don't know. It seems fine. Uh, there are like some more fighting game style moves in it, but some of them I, I, I'm really bad at doing like the, the, for some reason doing throws on the ground, I cannot do it. I don't know why I was like, I don't believe throws are a real thing in this video game because for some reason I cannot do it. Um, but I can do throws in the air just fine. (laughs) So I don't know what's where the disconnect is, but something's going on there where I cannot throw in that game. Um, which admittedly, I'm not good at throwing in any fighting game. Throwing is like one of the most confusing things to me in fighting games. Cause they're very, it, it always seems super simple. It's just like press a button and like push a direction. But like for me, it's, it's always the hardest thing. And I'm guessing why is because I'm not super deliberate about my inputs. I would not say I'm a button masher, right? I don't sit there and just like press buttons and hope something happens. I usually know what I'm trying to do generally. And I know what buttons I need to press to do it. 
but I have no like real, I don't know, sense for the timing or maybe, maybe respect for the timing or something like that, <laughs> where it's like, I will like, I know I want to punch light, but instead of just pressing the light punch button once, I will press it like three times while I do that. So like, I, like I am, I am pressing these buttons multiple times, like not without any real specific idea of what I'm trying to do with it other than just I want to do light punch right now okay time to do the medium one now to the hard hit hard hits are a little easier because they're like they're so slow that like you know you're only going to get one out kind of thing with like light punches I'm like I'm going to light punch three times at least here right before I uh fully understand the input and what's happening and and how to follow up on this kind of thing um I'm bad at fighting games if you're like wow that sounds terrible then like yep I am bad at fighting games so so yeah, uh, we also played more Crystal Chronicles. Crystal Chronicles, just going on, just playing through the normal mode for that. Nothing new, fancy there. Just being a little T, which is pretty much just smack stuff hard, which I mean, I I can do. So, um, you know, it's my fifth or sixth playthrough of that game for the most part. So I'm just like, I'm just along for the ride. Whatever happens, happens. Once we beat the boss, if we can do like the harder dungeons, I would be excited to to try those out. Um, but the earlier stuff I'm kind of whatever on. So it'll be the first time I've played through that game four player though. That's, that's for sure on that. So, um, yeah. And that's pretty much it for stuff I did this week for the most part, I think. So, you know, pretty straightforward. I didn't get to work on a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, I am working on maybe doing like a different approach to a Chocobo GP review. That is not me committing to a Chocobo GP review. That is me just saying that I might try to do something where I do something more scripted, but try to make it produce in a shorter amount of time, uh, which I feel like is something I've tried multiple times in the past and continue to fail on. Um, but I'm trying to very much commit to that on this one. Uh, I only put about like 30 minutes into it so far. Um, and it's not really in a place I'm happy right now. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I, I do need to sit down and just try it again. Um, and just, you know, make sure I limit what I do. I think the big thing is like, once I get it to a place where I have a beginning and end, um, just limiting how much doctoring I do across that process to basically restructure things. If I can get it to the beginning of the end and I'm generally happy with the structure, that are the, the like what I'm saying in there. I think for something like Chocobo GP, which I really don't really feel the need to cover that much. Um, I think that would be a good, good use case for something like that. So um, I think like one thing I have with the casual reviews is that I kind of am bored of them in a lot of ways, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I, I just feel like there's, there's definitely something I can do in terms of improving like my ability to not say um and stuff like that. That is something I could improve upon across the board, like filler words. I used to be better about it and I've gotten significantly worse about it. Um, but I, I don't know if that is something that specifically I'd need to do in the casual reviews specifically. Um, so I think what I would like to do with those casual reviews, like not the casual reviews themselves, but with those, with those reviews that I don't like want to do a full review of, I do want to try to see if I can kind of shorten the production timeline of a scripted video, um, and start by, you know, going on the complete opposite side of it where I'm like, I will get something put together for Chocobo GP and I'll read it off and we'll see how it sounds and how it goes. If it's terrible, it's terrible. We tried it kind of thing. Right. And then let's like try to find a place to meet in the middle there for these smaller videos. I don't think I want to get rid of the long-term projects and like really nailing down those scripts, especially if they're games like Nintendoji and things like that, where I feel like those videos have long-term legs and because they're the only resource for those games, it's very important that that script is very like tuned in. Um, but I just want to be better at 
being able to throw something together like within a week or two kind of thing and 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 just have that be there kind of thing um and and so that that makes it so i can do things where if i'm less passionate about it but i think there's a valuable need in creating that video i can still do it easily so yeah it's time it's the patreon time welcome to patreon.com slash one controller port that's not where you're at right now so i don't know why i welcomed you there but that is a place you can go to get some one control port content like last week where there was a um canceled jumping flash review that you could watch where i i recorded the audio for it and then never finished editing it and putting it together why because i realized i had nothing to say about jumping flash so glowing endorsement of that content (laughs) but that's why i didn't finish it so there it is so if you want to hear me talk about jumping flash for any reason that's there you get to hear all my if am bums bums butts or us and then uh and then also just like my rereads and things like that i generally you know didn't have too much trouble with that script and reading it i just didn't want to edit it towards the end till the end because i just like there's nothing here i really want to say i don't really want to put this out and then by the time i had considered maybe reutilizing it the structure of how i did casual reviews changed a little bit and uh then i was like well i have to re-record this probably to make this work or re-record parts of it and like oh whatever so yeah that was there last week um nothing this week but the week after that we'll have something probably do the pcfx um ga installation video i have not actually edited that yet but should be pretty straightforward shouldn't be that hard just got to do it that's all the $5 Patreon level. You want that bonus content, though. However, any Patreon at any level, starting at $3, can uh, ask podcast questions. And this week, we have podcast questions. Um, this one's from Jillian. Just as a reminder, before I forget, uh, current podcast or current Patreon subscribers right now are Paul Daniel, Jillian, and someone named Discreet, um, or at least listed as Discreet. Every week, I'll make that call qualification just because I do not know. I probably should just look into it so I just know. So I don't have to keep saying discreet over and over again, just in case. Uh, But yeah, uh, Jillian asked the question, um, do you have any games or things you're really proud of having, like mini collections or something like that? Um, And if there's anything I would like to get in the future. This is a a hard question for me today. I think five years ago, I'd probably feel differently about this. But I think today, and I don't know if it's just me being weird about it or not but at times i don't really like nowadays i don't know if i consider myself a collector because when i think about what collectors goals are when i talk to the people who who collect games right and and collecting games can be very different things right you don't it doesn't have to be the same thing but i but very 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 rarely do i sit there and think i need to have this to complete X. And I feel like that is a part of being a collector. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, to complete something, though. It could just be one thing. But sometimes just like having that thing on your shelf is like a part of that collecting experience. And like, and like, it doesn't matter if you play it or not. It's just there just to be there. And for, for me, I'm trying to think of there's like something expensive, like Sin and Punishment. I own Sin and Punishment. This is a bad example, but I want to use this as an example. Sin and Punishment is a game that I played on Virtual Console first and foremost and enjoyed there. Had a great time. If I did not buy a physical copy of Sin and Punishment, 
for the variety of weird reasons I did. One, I wanted to support Japan Retro Direct. Two, um, it's just a really cool package overall. Um, and three, I also don't have my virtual console copy of Sin and Punishment anymore. Um, and then four, this was not, I found this out after I purchased it, but the manual hadn't been scanned or archived anywhere. So that was like a bonus bit there. And honestly, I felt really guilty buying Sin and Punishment. I did not feel good buying Sin and Punishment. Let me make that clear. The only, the only time I felt good about buying Sin and Punishment was once I realized the manual had, had not been scanned. Um, and then, yeah, that is the one time I felt good buying Sin and Punishment. Every other step of the way, I was just like, I shouldn't do this. I should not buy this. And like, when, when I got here, I was like, it's here. Now I have to play it. Like, I already played Sin and Punishment, but I have to do something with this. I felt like I had to do something with it. Even if I didn't want to play through Sin and Punishment again, which Sin and Punishment is a great game. You should play it. And I'm glad I made a little video that nobody watches because uh, like it's, it's, I think it's like 20 views and that's it. I'm glad I made that tiny video for it. Like, like I really just felt like I had to play it kind of thing. I'm getting way off track here. Really what I'm just trying to say is like, I don't know if I'm in the mental mindset of a collector anymore. I may be. I may not, I may not be. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. It's the real answer. But do I have any games that I'm really like, proud of? And so maybe that's like part of it. It's like... <sighs> buying something is not something to be like super proud of to me kind of thing right like i think there's a buying something if it's like a responsible thing to do right like like maybe to some extent you could look at like you know buying the sparkling feather art book or paris or not parasite uh private idol art and you'd be like i'm proud of that because like i i got it and then i scanned it and uploaded it and like i did something for like people with it right but even there, like I don't, I don't have any pride in owning those. I kind of don't want them, to be honest with you. I tried to give them to the Video Game History Foundation, and they did not want them. Not that's not like a negative thing. They were like, these are really cool, and normally we would take these, but we have too much other stuff going on right now. So maybe I should reach back out, honestly. But they did not want them the time I asked, basically. And I was just like, I don't want these either. <laughs> don't want this paper just sitting around, um, just in my house. <laughs> so yeah there's stuff like that like i don't really feel proud of i think if there's anything that i feel like good about owning maybe other than dojin stuff and dojin stuff has like other things going on with it right like i feel good about supporting those creators like when i purchase things from those independent artists and things like that it is supporting their creation of artwork around that thing right that i feel good about that again don't know about proud with that but i feel good about that um but i am really happy that I was able to get a copy of 24 Tokyo. That was not, um, not like I got the one copy I could find online, but it was something I found online. So I don't, I've never seen another copy of 24 Tokyo online and 24 Tokyo episode one, episode two and three are out there. I just don't know where. And I have no idea like if I'll ever get them. I say very, very unlikely. I'll ever see a copy of 24 Tokyo episode two and three, um, without really going on my way to like, desperately track one down like maybe going to literally jin kobayashi himself in some way and being like do you fucking have a spare copy of this the guy who did the art and has like a presence online still because the other three people who worked on it i have no idea who they are maybe i can figure it out at some point i tried tracking them down online could not find them at least at the time I need to go back and look, but I could not really find them. So Jin Kobayashi is like the one person I know has an online presence. I'm like, maybe if I got desperate enough, 
I could figure something out with that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so there's that. And then um, I was really happy that I found a copy of Super Panda Ball physically in Japan. And that was complete luck. Of um, I was... I forget where I went. I went somewhere and um, I think it was like the end of the day. And I think I just did not like this. I think this may have been after I lost my passport. I don't remember for sure. But basically, I didn't want to take the train for whatever reason. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I seem to recall what it was is that I, I didn't have any plans the rest of that day. And so I was just like, I'm just going to walk back to my um, hotel. It was really far ways away, honestly. But I was just like, I have nothing better to do. I'll get there plenty of time. So like, why not just walk? Because honestly, I think when I'm on, when I'm traveling, I think just walking is like one of my favorite things to do. It's something I've kind of learned as I got older is just like, if I can just go out and walk somewhere when I'm out like traveling, that makes me happy. I don't know why, but it's something I do. Even like locally, sometimes that's just like a nice thing to do. I actually did it today. I just was like, I'm just gonna go out and walk for a bit. Like, and not just like go to the park or something. I just want to go somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going an hour this way. And then I come an hour back. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so I, I basically was just walking down, you know, through through the, the I guess the out, like it was through Tokyo, right? So I was in Tokyo just walking down. And so like at some point I did need to pass through Akihabara um, to get back to my hotel because I was in Asakusa. So um, I it was pretty much just like Akihabara was just like a really easy place to stop by whenever I came back to Asakusa because I need to get on the subway um, or, or, you know, the, the non main line, not the, the non JR line. I feel like I'm just rambling, sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I just like walked in. So I found like a random store. I didn't know what it was. And I just walked in there. And uh, there's just a copy of Super Panda Ball hanging out in there. I was like, awesome. Cool. I don't know what that store was anymore. Can't remember. Um, but it just had a bunch of Dojin games, which I was like, I'd been looking for any kind of Dojin games in Japan the entire time and could not find them. Then just random store I walked by <laughs> and just went into and was like, okay. And then it literally Super Panda Ball was just right there. I was like, well, easy, salt. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, the only other thing that would have been great is if I saw uh, 24 Tokyo episode two and three there, but they were, they were not there. So anyway, so that was kind of, so I guess like there's a very roundabout way of saying like, I guess I am happy that I have 24 Tokyo and Super Panda Ball. I don't know if that's like being proud of it though. That's the other thing. So anyways, anyways, um, I think if there's one thing I might end up doing that is like collectory is, um, maybe finishing out like my DS, um, monolith soft game collection i think i'm missing like one game from that i think it is literally just dragon ball z attack of the saints but i think that game's like 70 bucks now and i'm like i don't want to spend 70 bucks on that thing like i don't that is not that is not in my interest and that's like why i, I don't know if i'm really like like consider myself a collector because i just look at that and go like that price is too high i'm not doing that <laughs> like it does not hurt me that i did not finish like getting every monolith soft ds game i'm like whatever that's fine. It's cool. It's it's all right. <laughs> so, so yeah. Anyways, 
That's it for the question this week, though. Again, thank you so much, Jillian, for that question. Um, if you have any question you want to ask about the podcast, I don't know. Hopefully, I answered your question well. Um, but but uh, it was very long-winded. Um, but uh, if you have any questions you do want to ask, just join the Patreon. I do a post every Monday that I ask for the question for next week. As long as you get your question in by Friday, um, I should be, see it, and I should be able to go ahead and respond to it. So please do so if you're interested in asking a question. Otherwise... That'll be it for the Patreon. Thank you guys so again so much for uh, subscribing to it and, and supporting me. Um, I am putting out more video content there in, 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 the, in the, the meantime. Um, so at some point, I'll probably make a YouTube post about it. I already pre-edited the video for that. Um, so that is a, ready for me to do that. But I just want to get some additional um, video content available for people to watch um, in the free trial program I have for that kind of thing. If there's anything you want out of the Patreon, let me know. I'd be happy to, to try to, you know, fit in more stuff on there. Um, it is a little hard to find, you know, what to, to actually include on there, honestly. Uh, especially since I just do not have a ton of time, unfortunately. So um, one thing I do want to talk about real quick, actually, um, is I may end up shifting the stream time a little earlier up to 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm a little on the fence about that. I'll probably put a YouTube poll up this week um, that people can uh, vote on. Um, so if you are, if you do want to have the the stream start time be earlier, let me know. The main reason it was 7 p.m. is because originally when I started doing this, I had to commute, you know, to and from work and stuff like that. So um, I might be able to move it up to six. However, there are still times where I have found that uh, I'm not necessarily ready by six. So if I move it up to six right now, I basically, at my current job, I'm going to have to tell them at four o'clock on Thursday, I will not be available. However, the, there's a lot of flexibility with those hours at my job. So as long as I communicate that ahead of time and make it consistent, I think that won't be an issue um, whatsoever. So if that, is that going to be longer stream times? I'm not quite sure. I think I would like to get us to like a rounded three hours if I could. So, you know, basically, um, you know, six to, 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 to nine or something like that, um, rather than the uh, two and a half. Uh, I don't think we'll go a full extra hour. I don't think I'd wait till like 9.30. So we would be ending a little earlier than usual, um, which honestly wouldn't be too bad for me because um, usually after a stream, I need like an hour to kind of cool down. And then and then after that, I would really like an hour to kind of like prep everything for the next day and then go to bed. That, that is the ideal situation. But right now the streams kind of go over and and I, I usually am like, you know, up until like, you know, 1230 trying to get things set up the next day when I really don't need to. This last week, I just was like, whatever. <laughs> and I just went to sleep and then I didn't post any of the stuff until like the afternoon the next day. So, so yeah, which is not a big deal. I don't think people are really like waiting and dying for me to make a, you know, blog post about the uh, stream that we did the night before. I think most people know that we did those already. So, yeah. In terms of news this week, I've got three stories to talk about here. Mostly pretty small ones. First, No More Heroes 3 is getting ported to the Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. This includes both the previous gen versions of those consoles and the current gen version of those consoles. Um, so, cool. Um, in terms of like what's a, what you're going to miss there, uh, really, I'd be curious to see if they try to do anything with the DualSense specifically in that port. But I feel like when they're porting to like four different platforms at once, they're probably not going to focus too much on any PlayStation-specific um, uh, aspects to that. Could be wrong. Um, but really, you know, I do think motion controls do play a big role in No More Heroes games, even if they're not, like, particularly amazing. Um, and I think that's it's something that feels generally good to utilize. 
Um, so it's, it, it's always a little troubling, I think, or a little, maybe not troubling, but like, it feels like you're missing something unless they replace it with something else in those games. Um, and I did play like the Heroes Paradise version of No More Heroes, and I did remember feeling like the, the button controls, you did kind of lose the, um, the impact you get from like finishing off enemies, um, using the motion controls. So we'll see if that has any kind of like issue with that per se. Um, but otherwise that's like a pretty okay game. Uh, I think it like really starts to pick up towards the end if i recall correctly i think the beginning i thought was not very good at all um yeah if you if you do start that game you don't like it then i would say get get further into it because i think the first like three boss fights kind of are bad (laughs) personally um but the rest of it's i think pretty good um and then uh also there's a um the performance in the switch version was pretty bad too so i'm curious if the uh how much the the current consoles will be able to to you know even some of that stuff out the one thing about the the original version is that it was actually really sparsely populated in a lot of ways so i will be curious if they try to like liven it up at all or if they just go for the better frame rate okay that's all kind of thing whenever it's like a four system port like that i always just worry they're not going to do all that much so just going to keep it as flat as possible kind of thing across the board uh, we haven't talked about Metal Max Xeno in a long time, but Metal Max Xeno Reborn has finally come out here in the West. Uh, June 22nd is its release date. If you don't know, this is a remake of Metal Max Xeno, a game that also came out on the PS4. So they are remaking a PS4 version of that game. They redid the graphics engine and everything. I don't know what else has changed, but the graphics engine was changed to be less like a cel-shaded Vita kind of looking game and made it more of, like, a traditional Unreal Engine-looking game, but the lighting was bad last I checked, so, like, the character models looked worse in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know anything about that version of the game beyond they changed the graphics, and I feel like the graphics are, in some ways, worse. They're probably technically better, probably technically more polygons going on there, but, like, the visual appeal of it has always looked kind of eh to me, but I still have Metal Saga that I haven't played, so I don't, I'm not touching Metal Max Xeno until I finish up Metal Saga, which... You know my track record for JRPGs. That's not happening anytime soon. So so we'll see. Maybe in the future. We'll see. Um, and then the last story here is... Uh, I don't... So this is actually kind of an old story, but I couldn't find an update to it. So I thought it would be worth mentioning. Uh, I think Mr. T actually mentioned this to me at some point as well. Um, but the PlayStation 3 and Vita has had some titles that are um, expiring Basically, it sets their date back, I think, to like 1969. So it says they expired in 1969. So you can't get access to play like the PlayStation 1 version of Chrono Cross anymore. I did a little bit of a searching around today to see if I could find an updated situation on this. I didn't see any reports of it. Um, but it, it seems to be just like sitting there and, and not being fixed right now. Um, you know, it's not probably very high on Sony's plate to go back and fix a PlayStation 3 and Vita software functionality. Um, the one thing that I would think that they would want to kind of get it, it resolved for is if any of the titles that are being affected are going to be, um, on the, uh, PlayStation plus plus program they have for what it was called but you know the enhanced playstation plus program where they're going to let you play some ps3 games vita games are not included on there so um yeah we'll, we'll see so i i would expect this gets fixed but i don't know the the i don't think i talked about it before as well but the wii e-shop is or wii's uh wii shop channel has also been down which you know you can't buy anything off there but you can go back and download stuff you already purchased um or you could um as far as i'm aware that is still down as well so anyways um, I think you guys know where I'm at, though, with those things. You know, if, if they're going to stop you from purchasing things on there, like, whatever. Just go find your way to play that game otherwise if you need to. Like, like even for me, like, say, for example, 
I do not own Chrono Cross. Say for example, Chrono Cross is too expensive to get any other way other than the recent HD remake, but I want to play the original PlayStation version of Chrono Cross. If Square Enix is not selling me any PlayStation version of Chrono Cross, which probably, honestly, they're pro- there's probably still selling that disc one on their website, knowing Square Enix with some of those things. They have just like a warehouse full of Chrono Cross. Um, but like, you know, say that was not available and like Chrono Cross was $200 for a PlayStation copy or something. Like what I would do if I really want to play that PlayStation 1 release is buy the HD version of Chrono Cross and then just go play the PlayStation version of Chrono Cross. Like, like buy what's available and accessible if you can, if you don't already own something that way, like show your support for that thing if you can, but like, don't kill yourself if they're like, we're not going to sell this to you. Like, don't go buy yourself a copy, $200 copy of Chrono Cross or something. I don't think Chrono Cross is that expensive because I think they have been producing that game for a while. I think like that and Final Fantasy Anthology might still be on their website for you to purchase. I could be wrong about that, but I think they're still selling those, which is kind of crazy. But whatever, man. I mean, I would rather them do that. Keep keep producing those games. How about we get another run of Gotcha Force and Cuba War, please? Do that. I own those games, but I don't want them to be as expensive as they are. Please, make them cheaper. Atlas. Atlas? Yes, Atlas for Cubivore. And Capcom for Gotcha Force. I wonder if you could get those, like, little mini CDs. Get Victor Ireland on the case. Just get Victor Ireland to, like, run everybody's, like, (laughs) uh, CD releases of old consoles and stuff. He'll do it. He'll make it. He'll manufacture UMDs for you in the year of 2022, I'm sure. <laughs> he could, at least. <laughs> so, anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. OneControlPro.com is the website. Um, in terms of upcoming content, I don't really have anything coming up this next week, unfortunately. So, hopefully, we'll get some stuff soon. But Crying Crackers, we'll be playing that again. Again, it's been pretty straightforward so far. So, I haven't had to do a ton of, like, you know, working with general assets and stuff to, or, or, or with, with Japanese at all to really learn that much. But we have looked at the manual a few times. I also have kind of gone through and tried to like figure out some of the user interface and what certain things mean. So um, that has been uh, fun, but it has been very light on that that side. I would like to get into deeper games that do push us to try different things for learning Japanese. Sparkling feather situation where I desperately dig at a game trying to get the good ending kind of thing. Um, Because I think it's entertaining to see that maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's boring. But I think it's kind of fun to dig into that stuff. And like I have people who are like, "Why, why keep playing Sparkling Feather if it's a bad game? It's like, no, you don't understand. It's interesting trying to figure it out. So even as bad, um, Sparkling Feather has some other things about it too, though. Like, like that's the thing. Like, I've not talked about Sparkling Feather recently, but from a Hunex perspective and an auto RPG perspective, when it comes to Hunex, it actually is kind of interesting to think about. So um, yeah, I've also been scanning the uh, the art book I have for that game as well. So that hopefully I'm like halfway through. I think it's a lot of pages in it. So. Uh, it's actually jammed in my scanner right now. I hope I'm not like permanent. I mean, I know I'm damaging the spine. Books suck. I hate scanning books. It's the worst. I wish I had like an actual book scanner so I had to destroy my books every time I bought them and scanned them. Um, but yeah, that's how that is. So. That's it for this week, though. Thanks again for coming. What's the website? Hope you have a great week. Bye.